All right, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. Uh, we are going to be in Isaiah uh, chapter 9. Isaiah 9. We're actually going to be in Isaiah chapter 9 for the next several weeks. And so, uh, so it shouldn't be a surprise to you when you come in. Isaiah 9 is where we're going to be. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's a blue one underneath the seat you are sitting in. You can reach down there and you can pull that out. Isaiah 9 is where we're going to be. And Isaiah 9 in the blue Bible is on page 300 and something. 300 and something. Anybody got a blue Bible? 368. 352. Who's? 638, like I said. I did the same thing in the last gathering. Why can't I remember that? 638, 638. Isaiah 9 is where we're going to be this morning. Enough joking around. Let's get into the Word. Here at Flourishing Grace, we believe that this is the Word of God. It is a precious gift that He's given to us. And so if you are able, in honor and reverence of the Word of God, would you stand with me this morning as I read it for us? Here we go. Isaiah 9. Verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. Last week we began this series on kind of these names that we see there in Isaiah 6, right? Uh, God uh, is giving this messianic prophecy, a prophecy of the coming Messiah, the one who's going to come and rule and reign and establish his kingdom uh, from this time forth and forevermore, will rule justice and righteousness, right? But he names him, right? Wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. And so for the next few weeks, all we're going to do in Christmas Eve, we're just going to focus in on these names that are found there in Isaiah 9. And last week we looked at the name Wonderful. Wonderful. And this morning we're going to look at the name Counselor. Now some of you say, hang on a second Josh, no, 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 Wonderful Counselor, that's one name. There's no comma in between unless you're rocking the old King James Bible. King James, we talked about this last week because I'm not going to get too much into it, but in the King James Version, right, there is a comma there. It's wonderful, stands alone on its own as a name for Jesus. And counselor stands alone on, on its own as a name for Jesus. And all the theologians of old, right, the, the, the Augustans and the Calvins, right, the, the great preachers of all time, Spurgeon and Owen and Edwards, like the, these guys were like, oh yeah, wonderful stands alone on its own. Clearly, counselor stands on its own. And so, good enough for them, good enough for us, Flourishing Grace. So we, we've broken these into two, two different uh, names. Last week we talked about wonderful. You can find that on our website, flourishinggrace.org slash listen. Uh, but this morning we're going to jump right in. We're going to talk about counselor, right? Counselor. What does this mean, counselor? His name shall be called counselor. Well, why is his name Counselor. Well, here's the thing. I don't think that what the picture that God is painting for us in naming this coming Messiah Counselor is what we might think in our mind of, of a counselor, right? For us in our, in our day, we think of a counselor, we think of like a nice, sweet, huge leather couch and we like lay there and talk about all of our problems and all of our worries and all of our woes, right? That's not what's going on here. That's a good thing. 
right? Counseling is a good thing, but that's not what's going on here, right? This is more of a, a ruling counselor, right? A king who counsels people, who, who leads them and guides his people in a, in a wise manner, in a wise way, gives good counsel to his people, establishes a good system of government, and leads them in a wise way. We see this kind of more clearly in another Messianic prophecy in Micah. Micah 4 and 5 is just impregnated with all kinds of messianic prophecies about the coming Messiah, the coming of Jesus. And we see this kind of picture of a counselor needed, and the reason we need a counselor, in Micah 4 and 5. Um, I'm going to read a lot of it for you. Don't get lost at all. This. I, I want to kind of show you uh, kind of the full messianic side of this prophecy and show you how it's deeply tied to Christ. And so I'm going to read the whole thing. But... Uh, only part of it has to do with what we're talking about this morning. Here's Micah 4, verse 6, reads this way. It'll be here on the screen for you. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away, those who, have been, who I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant. And those who are cast off, a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you... O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Now, verse 9, listen to this. Why do you cry aloud? Why are you crying? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? That pain seized you like a woman in in labor. What's going on here? What's, what's Micah doing? What's God doing through Micah? Here's what he's saying, right? There's a time coming when, when Israel, right? Israel is, the, is this daughter of, of Zion, the, the, the hill of, or the daughter of Jerusalem, this hill of Zion, Mount Zion, right? This is Israel he's talking about here. It, when from Israel, Israel is going to be so torn apart, so broken, so, so oppressed, right? In that moment, in that time, from this little nation that is not the ruling nation, it's, it's not the greatest nation in the world, it's not, it's not the, the rule of the known world, but in that time, from this nation is going to come one who God's going to send, one from, one from the, the kingdom of old, one from the line of David. He says, why, why are you crying? Why is everything broken? Why, why can't you figure this out? I'll tell you why. There's no king in you. Your counselor has left you. You see, Micah is picture, painting this picture of a, of a counselor king. And when you have the right person who is leading you, the right king who is a wise counselor, right, that that person can establish a nation, can establish a people, can lead them in ways where they'll flourish. But when that is removed, that flourishing is also removed. And so the whole nation suffers and endures. And they're like a woman in labor pains, longing to give birth to a counselor king. But they don't have it. They don't have it. Look at Micah 5, 2. The same, this is in the same prop, prophecy. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. 
Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor, Israel, has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock. And the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. From, for, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. What nation is this savior, king, counselor going to come from? Nation of Israel. What town is he going to come from? The little town of Bethlehem. The one who God is talking about in Micah 4 and 5 is Jesus. He is the counselor that the people of Israel are desperate for. And friends, he is the counselor that you and I are desperate for. We need, we need a counselor. Now, some of you say, well, why, why would I need a counselor, right? The, the reality is that in our culture today, especially in the West, right, where we live, right, there, there is this idea where you don't need anybody to tell you any, anything. And th- th- this, this idea is growing and growing and growing. It's becoming so pervasive in our society. Uh, uh, young, so younger millennials and, and kind of the older Gen Z crowd especially, this idea of, uh, of just intense individualism. You be who you want to be. You need to become the best version of yourself. You need to get out there and discover who you are. And nobody can tell you who you are. You need to become who you are. And, and, we, and we parent our kids in this way. Listen, if you can just kind of, if you can just kind of, you decide on your own who you want to be. And don't let anybody tell you what you, what you can be and what you cannot do. You can do anything. And you deserve everything. Some of my older friends in the room, some of my gray-haired friends are like, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. So wise. It doesn't work. There's all kinds of studies being done right now on, on that group, especially of men. Right? They call them the lost boys. You can, you can look it up online. There's, there's tons of research going on, on on the men who are growing up kind of in that younger millennial range and the older Gen Z range. And how they just they have no deep convictions, no deep beliefs, kind of wandering out on their own. And mom says, come on home, live in my basement. It's all good. You'll figure it out. No, no one says, get a job, man. No one is counseling them. And the truth is, for those who want radical individualism, the danger is this. Bad counsel is everywhere. And it's so easy to follow. We want to follow it. Good counsel is rare. It's hard to follow. Bad counsel is easy to follow. It does not take much. It doesn't take much for you to convince me that I should come to your house and eat some junk food and watch football rather than going to the gym. It doesn't take much. Right? You call me up. You're like, hey, come over. Let's watch some football. We'll eat some junk food. It's amazing. I got pizza coming. I'll come on over. You know, I was supposed to go to the gym. I think I'm going to go do that. I can go to the gym after. Okay. It's not hard, right? It's not hard to convince us that we need, should spend money on things that we shouldn't spend money on. Look at this sweet new thing. Like, look how amazing this is. Oh, it is so cool. I want that. You should buy it. Nah, man, I'm saving for this thing. My family wants to do this thing. We should be doing it. But look how cool it is. Okay. Let's buy that. It's not hard. Bad counsel is so easy to follow. It's everywhere. Good counsel is rare. It's hard to follow. Bad counsel destroyed the world. Destroyed the world. 
Good counsel, perfect counsel, is the only thing that will restore it. Here's how the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, put it. I love this. He said, was it not that evil counsel which provoked our mother to rebel against her maker? Speaking of Eve. And did it not, as the effect of sin, bring death into this world with all of its train of woe? Ah, beloved, it was meet that the world should have a counselor to restore it. If it had a counselor to destroy it. It was by counsel that it fell, and certainly without counsel, it never could have arisen. But mark the difficulties that surround such a counselor. Tis easy to counsel mischief, but how hard to counsel wisely. To cast down is easy, but to build up, how hard. To confuse this world and to bring it upon itself, itself its train of ills, was an easy thing. The woman plucked the fruit and it was done. But to restore order to this confusion, to sweep away the evils which brooded over this fair earth, this was work indeed. And wonderful was that Christ who came forward to attempt the work and who in the plentitude of his wisdom hath certainly accomplished it to his own honor and glory and to our comfort and safety. Here's what Spurgeon is saying in the only way that Spurgeon can, right? It's like, and it's just beautiful, right? He's saying, listen, when Adam and Eve were living in the Garden of Eden, everything was good. Everything was right. They walked with God in the cool of the day. They ate from the most amazing fruits in the garden. It was perfect, and there was perfect peace. Everybody, everybody got along. It was so wonderful. And along came what? Counselor, Satan, counseled them away. Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? No, no, no. He said you can't just can't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden because you, you'll die. You won't die. God knows. Your eyes will be opened. You'll be like him. And the woman looks at the tree and it looks, it looks delightful to her. She hears the words of the counselor and she thinks this sounds pretty good. And so she eats from it. By counsel, evil entered the world. And therefore, by counsel, is the only way that it'll ever be restored. We need a great and perfect counselor. The value of good counsel cannot be overstated. Hopefully, you have somebody in your life that um, is a good counselor to you. Right? You have somebody in your life that you know you can go to. Maybe it's a father figure. Maybe your grandpa. Uh, maybe it's a best friend. Maybe it's your mom. I, I don't know who it is. So hopefully there's somebody in your life that you know, you know is 100% for you. And they're probably right. Like they're just wise beyond their years. They're just, they, just, they just always have a good word for you. Hopefully you have that person in your life. For me, there's a guy, his name's Tim. Tim, Tim was my first boss ever. In, in ministry, my first like real boss, maybe ever in life. Um, and Tim, to this day, has remained a good friend and a good counselor. Every month, Tim and I have a phone call. And it's not like a, hey, bro, how's it going phone call. It's, it's Tim comes prepared to counsel me, to, to equip me. Tim, Tim is 100% for me. And I know that. Tim wants me to be the absolute best husband to Desiree that I could possibly be. He wants me to be the best father to my boys that I could possibly be. He wants me to be the best pastor of Flourishing Grace that I could possibly be. And he wants me to love Jesus more than anything else in this world. And I know that about him. Tim loves me. He's 100% for me. 
And so he counsels me. And here's the other thing about Tim. He's usually right. Tim's sharp. He's probably the sharpest person I know. If he was here, I wouldn't say that. But he is. It's true. He has this ability to kind of look at a, at a complex problem, 360 degrees, and come up with a solution like that. And he can give you all of the reasons why, a detailed plan and strategy of why he came up with that. He's brilliant. He's a brilliant man. He knows a lot about many things. He's well-read. He's usually right. And so this combination of being usually right and being for me is an amazing combination of somebody who counsels me. Somebody who can bring me through hard times. But there's also times where Tim has said hard things to me. He said, Josh, that's not for you. You shouldn't do that. Right, Josh, I'm not going to have you do this thing. I'm going to give it to somebody else to do. I'm going to give somebody else the, the, the ability to lead and to drive this thing that I so wanted to be a part of. He said, no, that's not for you. I'm going to do something else with you. You've got to do something else. Right? You're not, you're not going to speak at this thing. You're going you're gonna to do this thing instead. You're, like, you can't use those vacation days because I needed to do this. There have been times when Tim's called me, I'm a sin. Josh, you, you cannot do that. As a follower of Jesus, that's not, that's not okay. But when I know that somebody's 100% for me, and they're usually right, it's easier to follow them. Good counsel is rare, and good counsel is extremely valuable. Hopefully you know somebody in your life that's a good counselor. But what if, I, but what if there was a person in your life that was 100% for you? You knew 100% everything they did was for your good. Everything they did was for your good. And they were 100% right. Like they were never wrong. There was never a moment where they were ever wrong about anything, how unbelievably valuable would that be? I mean, how, how, how many things would be different in your life if you had somebody, when you weren't sure, you knew you could call them, and they had an answer, and it was always right, and it was always for your good. See, here's the thing about the one whose name is Counselor. He is always right. He's never been wrong about anything, ever. He is always 100% completely right. I love how the psalmist puts it in Psalm 119. We did a whole series on Psalm 119 a couple years ago. Psalm 119, 128. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. All of it. I hate what is false. I consider all of your precepts, all of your law, all of your words, everything that you decree, it's right. 100% of it. It's all right. It's all true. My favorite passage in Scripture is Romans eleven thirty three through 36. Paul writes this. He says, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has been his counselor? Nobody. No one has ever counseled the risen king of kings. Why? Because he doesn't need it. He knows what's right 100% of the time. He knows exactly what's right. There's never been a moment where Jesus is like, ah, what do I do? It's never happened. He's never been strained mentally and worried about, oh, I don't know what's going to happen next. He's sovereign over all things. There's never been a moment where someone's coming alongside him and said, hey, you know what? I actually have, a, have an idea that might be better. It's never happened. It doesn't exist. He's always right on every matter. Always. There's never been a moment where he's needed counsel. You don't counsel the one whose name is counselor. But what's more is this. 
Jesus is 100% for you. Everything he does is for your good. Everything. Everything he does is for the good of those who love him. Everything. Yes, it's for his glory. I know that. But everything he does is for your good. The psalmist again puts it this way in Psalm 46, verse 1. He says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. A present help in trouble. Where is he? Where is he when everything in your life blows up? It's right next to you. Where is he when the doctor calls and there is no cure for what you have? He's with you. Jesus is not a counselor king, a God who stands off and says, man, I, that stinks. I hope that works out for you. I just don't know what to tell you to do. I, I can't, I don't know. I don't have a solution for that. No, he knows exactly what to do. He's 100% right. And he's near you. He's for you. Look how the psalmist puts it again in Psalm 23, fa- famous psalm. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Is he for you? Yeah, he's for you. Those are good things. He's counseling you towards green pastures. He's counseling you towards still waters. He wants to restore your soul. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are where? Where is he? He's with you. In the darkest hour of your life, the one whose name is Counselor is with you. The one who knows all things, who is, who is, un, who is unmovably sure. He, he, is, he knows exactly what to do in every moment without a doubt, and it is perfect always. In the darkest hour of your life, he is with you. And his rod and his staff, they bring us comfort because they protect us. He's with you. That is who our God is. That's who he is. How do we know that he's 100% for us? Let me give you one more text. John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. He's 100% for you. He's 100% for you. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He's 100% for us. Because when he sees what's best for us, and what's best for us, what's best for you, cost him everything, he did it. No one is that for you. Uh, my, My wife, Desiree, loves me so much. But Jesus loves me more. I love my boys so much, but Jesus loves them more. How do we know? Because when doing what's best for me and what's best for them and what's best for you cost him everything, he did it. He did it. He's a near and present help. He'll never leave us or forsake us. That's who our counselor is. He's always right. He's always with us. He's always for us. Now, Jesus is the great counselor king. So here's the question I wanted to spend the, kind of the rest of our time on. We don't have much time left. Here's the question I want to spend the rest of our time on. How, how do we experience the counsel of the one whose name is counselor? Okay, I, I got it, Josh. Okay, he, he's, he's counselor. That's his name. I see why it's his name. He's 100% right. He's 100% for me. How do I experience that? 
Like, how, do I, how do I live in that? I, I, wanna, I want that. I want that every day. I want that every, every moment. How do I experience it? Let me give you three things, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Number one, we need to be hungry. Number two, we need to be willing. And number three, we need to be faithful. Hungry, willing, faithful. Okay? Hungry. Number one, I think the reason why so many of us who would say, man, I'm a follower of Jesus, don't experience the counsel of the, name, of the one whose name is Counselor, is because we're not actually hungry for it. Yeah, I want it, but do you really want it? Like, how much do you want it? There's this story in uh, John 9. John 9, Jesus heals a blind, a blind kid. Um, and this, this kid's been blind from birth. He's never been able to see. Um, and, and Jesus heals him. He gives him sight. And the Pharisees catch wind of this. And, and, they're, and they are just incredible. They're so angry. They're like, this is, there's no way this is real. There's no way this is genuine. Like, tell us what's really going on. And they bring him in in the, in the kind of a court of law. They grill him. He's like, I don't know. I couldn't see. Now I can see. What else do you want from me? So they bring in his parents. And they're like, was he really blind from birth? And they're so afraid because, because they've been told again and again and again, man, if you, if, you, if you proclaim that Jesus is the Christ, you're out. Or they're going to kick you out of the temple. And for a first century Jew, man, it's a big deal living in Jerusalem. It's a big deal. And so his parents are so afraid. They're like, they're like is, is Jesus the Messiah? What do you think? They're like, listen, all I know is he was blind. And now he sees. So they turn to the kid. And I, I love the kid because uh, he's so sarcastic, like straight to the Pharisees. He's like, what do you think? Is Jesus the Messiah? He's like, he laughs at them. He says, really? That's your question? Like, that's your question. I just told you I was blind from birth, and now I see, and this guy gave me sight. Who do you think he is? And they kick him out of the temple. They kick him out. And Jesus hears that he gets kicked out, and he's like, man, i got to find that guy. Because anybody who's snarky to the Pharisees, i got to know him. Like, that's my boy. I got to hang out with that guy. So Jesus finds him. Here's verse 35. I'm going to read it for you. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said to him, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And then Jesus says this. He says, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things, and they said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now you say we see, your guilt remains. What's going on here? Jesus, like he does so often, is kind of speaking in this kind of cryptic way, right? Especially when the Pharisees ask him questions. He's like, I'm not, I'm not playing that game. I'm not playing that game, right? And he says these things that just kind of confuse them and make them scratch their heads and makes them, makes them to go home and think about what he said, right? But he says, listen, I came to judge the world. For those of you who think that I came here to be some sort of lovey-dovey care bear, no, I came to judge. That's why I'm here. I came so that those who are blind may see, and those who see will be blind. What is he getting at? You see, the blind kid knows he's blind. The Pharisee, the, the religious elite, 
those who have memorized the entire Old Testament, those who have earned this status, who, who everybody looks to as these unbelievable leaders of the day, they think they can see, but they can't see him. They can't see him. In the same way, in our culture today, those who pursue this idea of, man, I need to satisfy myself now. I am my own individual. I'm going to live my life for me. And so we go about our days trying to secure the best job. I, I, I'm not satisfied with this job. I need a different job. And a few years later, you're not satisfied with that job, so you need a different job. And a few years later, you're not satisfied with that job, so you need a different job. I need the best house the most beautiful, sweetest house, but then a few years later, you're not satisfied with the house, so you need a different house. Or you need to remodel that house. You need to change something about it because you're just not satisfied with it. I need a sweet car. Like, I need to drive a new ride. That's what I need. But a few years later, you're not satisfied with that, so you need to get a new car. And a few years after that, you need, you're not satisfied, so you need to get a different car. I need, I need this hottest, sweetest, most beautiful spouse. And a few years later, you're not satisfied, so you need a different spouse. This is how we live in the West. Constantly eating, constantly filling our bellies with things that never fully satisfy. And therefore, we think we're full. We don't know that we're blind. We don't know that we're starving. We don't know that we're hungry. If you're not hungry, you'll never experience the counsel of the one whose name is Counselor. We've got to be hungry for it. But if you keep on filling your belly with the things of this world that never fully satisfy, you'll never be hungry for him. Number two, you have to be willing to follow the counsel of the one whose name is counselor. You got to be willing to follow him. If somebody gives you really, really good advice, but it's not what you want to hear, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Good advice is hard. It's hard. Uh, a couple years ago, Gallup came out with a poll. They released, they did, a, they did a survey, they did a study. They found out that 76% of Americans claim to be Christians. If you ask Americans if they're a follower, if they're a Christian, right, 76% would say, yep, I'm in. I'm a Christian, right? But then they studied that 76% and they said, okay, how many of them are actually doing the things that Jesus did? How many of them are actually living the way that Jesus lived? How many of them are actually followers of Jesus? What percentage of that 76% do you think are actually disciples of Christ, actually followers of Jesus? What percentage do you think? Yeah, 5%. Man, so, so pessimistic. Just kidding. <laughs> Any other guesses? 36. Anybody else? Five's closer. It's eight. 8%. 8%. 8% of people who would say, man, I'm a Christian, are actually doing things that Jesus did. They're actually living the way that he calls us to live. In Luke 9, the famous text, Jesus said to his disciples and to everyone around him, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would ever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake We'll save it. Jesus says, man, if you, if you want to, to actually follow after me, if you want to come after me every single day, when you wake up, man, you deny yourself. This day is not my day. This day is not for me. It's not for gratifying the desires of my heart. It's not for gratifying the desires of my mind. It's not for gratifying the desires of my flesh. This day belongs to Christ and Christ alone. 
and I will deny myself. I will take up my cross and I'll follow him. What's Jesus doing to the crowd that day? I'm going to give you a hint. It has everything to do with what we're talking about. He's counseling them. He's saying, let me lead you into the path of flourishing. Let, let me show you where it truly lies. If you, if you want to taste the thing that truly satisfies, you need to starve yourself of the things of this world. If you want to know you're blind, you need to stop looking at all these crazy things. Deny yourself and take up your cross. Come follow me. Say no to those things and you'll see what truly, you'll find what truly satisfies. He's counseling them to himself. He's counseling them to the path of true flourishing. Are you willing to follow the counselor even when it hurts? It's going to hurt. In our culture today, we, we, we think that we've been taught that being a follower of Jesus means, follower of Jesus means that we go to church. Being a follower of Jesus means I got a bumper sticker on my car. Being a follower of Jesus means that I'm kind of nice. Like, kind of nice, okay? But being a follower of Jesus means that, man, when, when things are down, I, I pray about it. Being a follower of Jesus means that, um, man, occasionally, occasionally, I, I, I read, my, read my Bible so I can impress my friends. Being a follower of Jesus means that I, I tithe, I give, give money to good things. Jesus says no. no. Let me ask you this. When was the last time your faith in Jesus cost you something? Like when was the last time that it actually hurt to follow Jesus? According to Jesus, the answer to that question should have been this morning when I denied myself and took up my cross and followed after him. I'm convinced that most of us gathered here are not experiencing the very thing that we can claim to believe because we're so busy living that we never actually find life. Lastly, it's faithful. We need to be faithful to the one whose name is Counselor. You see, so many of us want him to be faithful to us. He's 100% for me, right? That's good news. So whenever I need him, he's there for me. No. You've missed it. If you view Jesus as the genie in the bottle, he's 100% for me. And so when I lose my job, I just rub the lamp and come on, baby, give me some counsel. When, when, everything, when everything is falling apart and the doctor calls and there's no cure, I just, come on, like, well, give me some counsel. When, I, when I'm dating this hot girl and I just want her to be my wife and I just don't know, I'm unsure, come on, give me some counsel. That's not how it works. Jesus is not a genie in a lamp. He's the king of kings. He wants to sit and rule on the throne of your heart. That's where he counsels from. Not a lamp. The throne of your life. That's where he rules from. If you want to experience his counsel, he must become your king. No one has ever given him counsel because he knows all things. But he, sits on, he wants to sit on the throne of your heart and counsel you from there. He will not stoop to become your genie. He wants to be faithful to you. But you must be faithful to him. He is the good shepherd that longs to lead you down the path of flourishing. From one soul-satisfying stream of living water to another. From one abundant pasture where you can graze on the goodness found in him to another. Yet so many of us who say we're in don't know hunger for him. We're unwilling to count the cost. 
and we're not faithful to him as king. We're not truly hungry for him. We're unwilling to count the cost. We're not faithful to him as king. We want the counsel, but we're not willing. Friends, I have nothing to gain from any of this. That's, that's the thing about preaching. If you were to deny yourself and pick up your cross and say, today is the day, today, I'm, ne- I'm never going to live another day of my life for myself. This temporary existence will be completely for the king of kings and no one else. What do I gain from that? Nothing. But you, you would gain a counselor who's 100% right, 100% for you. That would change the course of the rest of your life. And it just might change eternity for you. And that's my prayer for you this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, would you open our eyes? Would you show us where we are failing? Would you show us where we are foolish? Would you show us where we are feasting on lesser things? And therefore, unknowingly, blind. Show us where we think we see, but ultimately we are stumbling idiots. Give us a hunger so deep that we are willing to count the cost. Give us an appetite for you that we are willing to say whatever, whatever it takes. Every day, I'll pick up my cross, I'll deny myself, I'm coming after you. faithful to you. Submit our lives in full and complete and total obedience to you. Not just when we need you, but all day, every day, in the short little life that we have. Let it all be for the glory of the King of Kings, who is 100% right and 100% for us. I pray these things in the name of the one whose name is Counselor. Amen. Would you guys go ahead and stand? Sing one last song together.